Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Dylan. Oh my God, that means I'm Heather. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Heather? Oh, I'm feeling sassy and cute. Well, you look really cute. Like Heather always is. I like your red lipstick. Thank you. It's nice, is it new? Uh, yes, it came with my extra palette that I bought Did or something. Did I buy that for you? Oh no, I just buy my own things oh, because babe. I know what I oh, like. Because you're a strong, independent woman and you don't need no man, right? But That's I'm glad right. that you picked me. I am just like Heather now. Because you needed a stud in your life. Oh, yeah. So you are dealing. Yeah. Okay. Totally. I'm drinking a beer, smoking a cigarette. Wait, it's early in the day, Dylan. Does that matter to you? No, man. Oh. You know me. I just like to drink the beer. Yeah, and then that's probably going to be an issue later because I'm Heather. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Dylan. <laughs> All right. That was fun role playing, Dylan. Yeah, let's go back. Can I be Dylan now? <laughs> yes. All right. We can switch back. All right. So, hey, everybody. How are you doing today? Well, we're covered in snow right now. We're getting snowed up up in her. Snowed in. Yeah, I know. It started this morning with a dusting and didn't seem like it was going to stick. Right, like always. But then now it's really coming down out there. It's a pretty heavy, forceful snow. Big oh. chunks. Oh, big, heavy I like those snow. Big chunks of mm, snow. Gosh. I just love how quiet it is. When you I know. step outside, I know. There's something about the silence that goes along with the snow. It's very serene. I love it. I know, and then it's a mess. I want to go for a walk. Yeah. Out in the snow. Well, you can do that because you're an adult. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, what are you? What else is going on with you? We got brand new patrons. Oh my gosh, we Justin and June. Yes. Thank you so much for signing up, supporting our podcast on Patreon. You can support the podcast if you want. Go to patreon.com, Mountain Murders Podcast. You find us there. For as little as a dollar, you can support the podcast. Yes, and get extra content. It's true. We just dropped a brand new Patreon episode for this week. We let our patrons vote. What's the topic, Dylan? It was psychic detectives. Pretty interesting subject matter. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was a lot to dig into there, and uh, we talked about it at length. Well, that's the fun thing about Patreon is, I mean, sometimes we talk about true crime cases. Right. Mountain murders, Appalachian murders, you know, that's, that's our shtick. But we also have a little more leeway with discussing, you know, other interesting topics. Yeah, sometimes we just talk about stuff that interests us. That's some true. of it's weird, some of it's scary. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and some of it's stupid. We have a live show coming up. In May at Fleetwoods in Asheville, tickets are on sale. We've already sold a few of those. Ooh. If you find Mountain Murders on Facebook, we do have an event set up for the live show. There's a link to brownpapertickets.com where you can go ahead and purchase your tickets. You might want to get those early. It sold out last time. Yeah, our first one went quick, didn't it? Yeah, I have a feeling this May show could sell out again, Dylan. Nobody could get in at the door because it was already sold out, y'all. It sold out, y'all. And it was so much fun. Yeah, we had a really good time. Yes, we it was did. Fun to meet our listeners. It was a lot of fun, and um, they're just as awesome in person as I imagine. I have to tell you, it really makes my day when we get a positive review or we get a message from a listener. Our Facebook messenger for Mountain Murders has been blowing up the last couple of weeks. Yes. Fans reaching out to say, I love your podcast. I listen with my wife. We go driving around in the woods at dark 
listening to your podcast. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, that sounds so fun. Isn't that but amazing? We love our listeners and we really appreciate you guys. Yeah. Being fans of Mountain Murders. Yeah, sometimes I'll be having not a great day and I'll see a good review or someone just saying, you know, love you guys. You know, you're my go-to or you're one of my favorites. And uh, that really lifts my spirits. We're pretty accessible. So if you do want <laughs> to uh, drop a line, you can email us, mountainmurderspodcast at gmail.com. We have a website, mountainmurders.com. You can reach us via the website or you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram. Hit me up in the DMs. Hey, y'all. But, you know, another thing I've had people say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're actually responding to me. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to respond. We're just regular folk, y'all. And we, we, we're we really grateful for you guys. Oh, yeah. And it means a lot, each and every one. So our case today has all the makings of a great tale. Oh. This is not the typical mountain murder story. Okay. There's debauchery. Ooh. Rolls Royces. Way. Champagne. Way, that sounds like rich people shit. Bathtub gin. Uh, bathtub gin? The Charleston. Oh, yeah. It's your favorite dance move. Well, yeah, I can't do that. Mansions. Oh, gosh. Dizzy Dames. Ziegfeld Girls. And mm. Murder? <laughs> skirt the, the Scooby-Doo sound effect. Murder? Ruh, row Raggy. Are you ready? Well, yeah, is that copyrighted? Can I say that? No, you can. Let's do it. You don't do it well enough to get sued. I'm going to go find the kitchen and get high like Shaggy and Scoob did all the time. Okay, are you ready for today's case? Let's get into this. Let's do it. Elizabeth Holzman was born May 23rd, 1904 in Cincinnati, Ohio. She was the daughter of a lawyer and a stockbroker. She was of Jewish heritage, but wasn't really raised in the religion. The once wealthy family lost their fortune Almost $1 million when her uncle embezzled money from the stock brokerage. Oh, shit. Despite the family's financial woes, Libby went on to attend university at um, the University of Cincinnati. She earned a degree in arts. Fairly cultured young woman. Affluent. Part of the social scene. Okay. By 1924, Libby had moved to New York City to pursue a career on the stage. New York City? Girl after my own heart, right? She appeared in many Broadway shows, singing, was really talented, and everything seemed to be going well for her. She actually is credited with making famous the strapless dress. Wow. Libby was a fun-time gal. She married three times and was openly bisexual even taking it as far as living with her girlfriend, the DuPont Harris Louisa DeAndelo Carpenter, <laughs> and they raised their kids together. Oh, wow. The relationship was mostly accepted by their theater friends and colleagues. Libby even dated the actor Montgomery Clift at one point. Well. And this is at a time, this is a pretty racy lifestyle. Yeah, I was going to say, this back in the day, right? This is the Roaring Twenties. Oh. But still, pretty racy. Well, when you start adding same-sex couples in and stuff, that, that, that pushes it even for, you know, other people consider themselves flamboyant or, you know, against the mainstream, right? In 1930, Libby was performing in Baltimore, and she was introduced to Zachary Smith Reynolds, heir to the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company. Man, where's all these rich people hang out at? A theater? He was immediately smitten and begged for an introduction. He was married, 
And in his world of wealth and adventure, this didn't matter to him. That that ring don't mean a thing. He can just do whatever he wanted. It don't mean a thing if you've got a wedding ring. Shabbat, shabbat, shabbat. I feel like I should start tapping. (laughs) Okay, well, he was accustomed to getting the things that he wanted. Right. As most wealthy, privileged people are very entitled, right? Right. That's why they move on to torture and killing humans at some point. (coughs) Epstein didn't kill himself. (coughs) Oh, gosh. Zachary Smith Reynolds was the son of the rich tobacco baron. He grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. That's the heart of it. He had a wife and a daughter. Zachary's wife, her name was Ann Cannon, and she was the daughter of a towels company owner. The two had a hurried elopement in South Carolina. The marriage had been more about merging two southern fortunes. Oh, okay. Like these two power families than about love. So it's like no different than the kings and queens of old, right? Together, they had a daughter, Anne Reynolds, but the marriage was never going to work. The two were very unhappy, occupying separate bedrooms, mostly ignoring one another. That sounds like a really great relationship. Zachary's real pleasure came from flying his airplane. He was somewhat of an amateur pilot. Libby was no pauper, so she was commanding about $2,500 a week, which is really nothing to sniff at. But she knew that her background and being Jewish and this libertine lifestyle, I mean, she was, you know, in in interracial relationships, the lesbianism, and those were all pretty forward thinking, especially for a Southern gentleman like Reynolds. But she liked him. Right. You know, she really wasn't sure if he was going to accept her. Yeah, because not only is it the 20s, she's taking it down South with her debaucherous lifestyle. Well, the two became infatuated with one another, both falling equally as hard. Zachary took her for a ride in his plane. He followed her around from theater to theater, show after show, while she's out on tour. Yeah, you'd be like, is that your plane outside in the parking lot? Libby was a fashionista, as I mentioned, bringing the strapless dress kind of to the forefront. Most of her dresses were styled after... Parisian fashion, like Coco Chanel and Patou, she definitely used her physical beauty and style to seduce Reynolds, and he was loving every minute of it, because she was like this glamorous goddess. Yeah, I'd say she was not like any woman he'd really been exposed to, you know? He was a playboy. He had the good looks. They were often compared to Rudolph Valentino. Oh, wow. But deep down, he was forceful, aggressive, narrow-minded, and incredibly paranoid. Well, it doesn't sound like a good match with her. He had this unhealthy obsession and phobia with being kidnapped. He carried a gun with him everywhere. People close to Reynolds knew the oozing confidence really masked other bad habits. It was a facade. It was. It was a facade. A facade. (laughs) (laughs) By 1931, the couple was scorching hot. Just the sex-crazed, passionate love affair. So uh, everybody knows about it, and everybody's talking about it? They traveled in the best circles, hung out with artists like Louis Prima, Billie Holiday, Louis Armstrong, all the jazz artists. They went to these big like Gatsby-style parties oh, wow. and mansions, just blowout parties. 
they live like rock stars. Man. Soaking up booze, this jazz lifestyle. It's amazing what you can do with all those unpaid benefits and wages to workers. Living la vida loca, right? Yeah. But Reynolds desperately wanted to marry Libby. He pleaded with her to be his wife. And Libby loved him, but she felt the relationship was totally fine the way it was. She didn't really want to change a thing. I mean, they were having the most fun. Right. They were partying, hanging out with famous people, living this really lavish, glamorous lifestyle that most of us probably only ever dream about. Oh, I live that way. Champagne wishes, caviar dreams, lifestyles of the rich and famous. Yeah, and a bush light budget. (laughs) (laughs) So she was just like, you know, why do we need to take this a step further? Right. She sounds more like a bohemian spirit, kind of do what you want, when you want. Live in the moment. With who you want. Exactly. Yeah. In the summer of 1931, the pair both rented houses in Port Washington, New York. One day, Zachary came to her house. She thought he'd been drinking, but he denied that he was drunk. He unexpectedly pulled out a gun and began waving it around. Oh, yeah, because that's a totally sober move. He tossed it to Libby, and at this point, I mean, she's just screaming and freaking out and said, go ahead and pull the trigger. Oh, (laughs) that's weird. Yeah, well, it really freaked her out. Yeah. I mean, she kind of knew that he had this fear of being kidnapped and that he was a gun lover, and often had the guns. No. Yeah, but, but still. she didn't realize that this was more of a thing. Right. That he's crazy as hell. It was at this time that he told her about his fear of being kidnapped for a large ransom. Well, I mean, I guess if you're some heiress or, you know, heir to a fortune connected to this high-profile family, I mean, you have to consider that. But I don't think you should consider it to the point where, you know, you're actively thinking about it every day and waving guns around and shit, right? Well, it made sense to her, but she was left pretty shaken by the incident and realized that his fear was more like an obsession. Right. And that there really wasn't a lot of validity in it. Yeah, just get a damn security detail, man. Get some big, thick neck fuckers to stand around you and go with you everywhere. Slowly, she started to realize over the summer that Zachary again, had this unhealthy obsession with being kidnapped. Just the whole summer, it's like starting to unravel. Ah, the real him's coming out, maybe. This beautiful, you know, rose-tinted world they've created together. This passionate, sex, drug, party-fueled romance. Sounds horrible. Scorching. Ooh. It's starting to fall apart. Yeah, and so she, he wants to take it further and basically get more control of her. And she doesn't want to change anything, so that's not going to be good. He continues asking Libby to marry him, almost hounding her. It becomes a point of contention. It's like a daily discussion. Right. She told him he was still married. So he decides to fly his wife to Nevada. They establish residency, and six weeks later, the pair is divorced. Is it go quicker in Nevada or something? I guess. Divorce? Those quickie Vegas marriages and divorces. I'll tell you. Of course, this was really before Vegas, but yeah, I guess Nevada's always had It doesn't matter. Yeah, Nevada's just like. Divorce rules. Whatever. Do whatever you want. Come out here, go to the brothel, gamble, get divorced right quick. Buy you some drugs because uh, weed's legal. Get laced. Get you some edibles. Ooh. Spend all your money. I don't think I would make it out there. Your social security checks and 
whatever. Yeah, and 24-hour divorce. Exactly. <laughs> That's weird. His ex-wife settled for half a million dollars in a trust for herself and half a million in trust for her daughter. So was, that's a lot of money back then. That's plenty of money, right? Right. And these are super wealthy people. I mean, the Reynolds, this is like a flash in the oh, yeah, that's, bucket for them. I that's mean, this nothing. Is like a just drop, the right? The hot of cigarettes, right? On November 19th, 1931, Libby and Zachary were married in Monroe, Michigan. Zachary took several months to convince Libby to move to the family estate in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Libby was starry-eyed, as one can imagine, had these dreams of becoming the lady of this elegant southern mansion, a socialite. The house has been described as this magnificent home, but it has the appearance outside of an English cottage. Really? But then inside is very you know, elegant oh. and chic. I'll be on the front porch like, I do declare, Mr. Yeah. Reynolds. It's a, it's a bit of a very celebrated southern home. Oh. She was lavish with anything she wanted. Her name was in the press. It was everything a girl like Libby dreamed about, and it had finally come true. Libby threw big parties, had the snappy music, fun chatter. She was the life of the party, just brimming with personality and fun, and just everybody loved her. Good and, time girl. Yeah, and everybody's talking about her. However... She often shocked people by walking around the property in little clothing. Oh, wow. This was just Libby's way. She had a lot of body confidence. She would not be slut-shamed. Ah, the 1920s Lizzo. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. If you don't like it, don't look. Right. All right. But in a southern town like Winston-Salem. Oh, my God. In the Bible Belt, in this conservative, I mean, this is just, this would not stand. No. This aggression will not. Stand, sir. That would be frowned upon to this day, I would think, in some circles. But the frills and the flounces promised not to be as fulfilling as Libby had hoped. She missed the spotlight. Oh, she wanted to be in the, the big city. The stage was her first love. She craved the stage, the adoration, singing in her sultry voice in front of a crowded nightclub. Yeah, it's a different scene. Zachary didn't understand how Libby could miss Broadway, the late nights, the hectic work schedule, rehearsals, life on the road. Right. I mean, he's basically like, I brought you to this beautiful southern home. The world is your oyster. Everything you could want is offered up to you on a silver platter. Except the one thing she enjoys doing. Why do you want to go back to work? You should just let her. At some point, Reynolds hires his friend Albert Walker to be his personal assistant. Walker moves into the home with the married couple. Okay. As you can imagine, probably not going to end up being a good thing, right? No. During a visit with Libby's parents, Zachary concluded that Libby's family was Jewish. So he's been with her this whole time. They've been married. They had this affair. But it never dawned on him that she came from a Jewish family. All right. During this visit, he gets really angry. And there's a conversation where Libby's dad mentions the family's Jewish heritage. He gets so mad that he storms out of the room, makes like a big fuss. Oh, my dear, I did not realize your family are Jews. Rumors begin circulating around town that Libby was a Yankee Jewess who had taken over the home of a southern 
fortune. And her parents were just baffled by this. They didn't understand what was so wrong with being Jewish. I mean, <laughs> they were like, we're a prominent family. We're well-to-do. We're educated. Our daughter's educated. We're very affluent in Cincinnati where we came from. Yeah. Like, what's the problem? What's, so, the, bi- what's the big whoop? So what big whoop? Exactly. But tensions tighten between the couple. Even if Zachary accepted her, she knew in this conservative town, people were talking, gossiping, and that her background, whatever you want to call it, was, you know, I'm sure, the big subject right. of conversation. I'm sure slurs are being thrown around and things like that. Zachary was even more stressed when the Lindbergh baby done been snatched. That was a big deal. He seemed anxious and more paranoid than usual. This was everything he feared. Right. So he, in his head, some masked figure is l- marking off the Lindbergh baby and like, he's next. Yeah. It was Reynolds. like everything that he was afraid of was coming to fruition. He was going to be next. He's just in one of these sort of paranoid delusion, delusional kind of moments where he's just in a fury and storming around the house and guns everywhere. And yeah. So this is making her very nervous. To lift his spirits, Libby suggests they throw a small party. Just a few local friends. They wouldn't invite any of their New York friends. It would just be really small. And Zachary agreed to the party as long as it was small, local people, and wasn't some big, fancy to-do. Right. So as long as it's small, my friends, not your friends, to where I can be comfortable, because I'm a little bit batshit crazy. During this time, Libby had received a script from New York. She also had a voice coach that had moved into the home with her. Oh. And it was a way for Zachary to kind of appease his wife. Right. So she could still be singing, rehearsing, practicing. But he didn't really have any intentions of allowing her to go back to work. Right. It's just more control, but kind of keep her happy for a little while. With the script, she's rehearsing, studying lines, much to Zachary's dismay. At one point, they had this huge argument over her working, and he was so angry that he left the house, spent the night in the motel. Oh, this guy. Libby mentioned wanting to get a New York apartment. Oh, yeah. He's not going to be cool with that. Infuriated Zachary. More fuel on the fire. On the evening of the party, Libby was taking her time to look perfect. She and Zachary were already stinging each other with insults and jabs. Before the party even started, she was starting to drink, and he accused her of getting drunk before guests showed up. And she reportedly said to him, What's it to you, bub? Guests start arriving. They're gathering out on the porch to enjoy the evening. Zach kept following his wife around and was just admonishing her for being drunk. He was really embarrassed. Again, she's this Yankee. She's Jewish. She's drunk. What will people think? My God, dude. His head is just spinning with anger and it was obvious to the other guests that things were not okay. Right. And in the back of his mind, he thinks they're coming to kidnap him at any moment. He didn't want her to talk to his friends. If she was trying to have a conversation with people that he felt were prominent, he would try to grab her and pull her away. Oh, it's not going good. He thought that any other woman at the party would have been a better hostess for his party than his wife. Well, maybe if he hadn't piled all these feelings and, you know, things on her, she wouldn't be them getting, you know, lit and kind of letting it out, you know? 
and Libby was getting toe up. She was cranking up the radio, dancing the Charleston. At one point, Zachary barges into this room where she's got the music playing loudly and she's dancing and he cuts the music off abruptly. Some party goers were kind of taken aback, like, oops, what's going on here? Just let her have fun, dude. To try to lighten up the mood, one of the party goers suggests they take a canoe ride. Zachary refused, saying that Libby had had enough to drink and that she would be staying at the house with him. People were eating ribs. I mean, they're having fun. Trying to. Libby keeps drinking. At one point, she challenges another young woman to a drinking contest. Okay. He is beside himself. At some point, Libby starts asking if everybody wants a song. You know, the party goers are kind of egging her on, and especially his friend. Yeah. Albert Walker. They call him Ab. Is like, yeah, you know, sing us a song. Everybody is just seemingly like having fun, relaxed, enjoying themselves. Like I said, Ab Walker, who was Zachary's secretary, who was normally pretty shy and reserved, just kept going on and on, encouraging Libby to sing. Zachary gets really angry. He perceives this as flirtation. And oh, maybe it no. was. Well, yeah. Zachary and Ab Walker exchanged some heated words. I, sir, challenge you to a duel. Soon the party ends. He's so angry with his wife. What is, he sounds like an asshole to me. He sounds really uptight. Yeah, like... She just wants to have a fucking good time. Everybody else wants to have a good time, too. She wants to rock and roll all night and party every day. Let your wife be in the spotlight. Around 1 a.m., Blanche Yerka, who was Libby's live-in voice coach, awoke to some noises that were coming from downstairs. She walked down the staircase and discovered Ab Walker still in his swimsuit from the party. He and Libby were dragging Zachary's body from the sleeping porch where the couple had stayed during the summer months. Okay. And the whole time that they're dragging this body, Libby is screaming. Well, that doesn't sound good. When they see Blanche, Ab Walker tells her to call for an ambulance. They tell her that Zachary Smith Reynolds has shot himself. Oh. At 5.25 a.m., he's pronounced dead, and his death was ruled a suicide. He was shot in the head with a Mauser semi-automatic 32 caliber pistol. Okay. Now, at this time, come to find out, Libby is actually pregnant with their child. Just more, more, heaping more on the pile there. Which he didn't know about. She didn't know about. It was a big surprise. A later coroner's report would rule the death a murder. Both Walker and Libby were suspects in his death. Eventually, they're going to be charged with first-degree murder, and it makes national headlines. Well, I'm sure. Could you imagine? No trial was ever held because Reynolds' family did not want to press charges or pursue a trial. They thought this trial would bring more scandal. That's all there were. They didn't want Ab and Libby on the stand. They thought there would be rumors come out that Walker and Libby had been having an affair Who knows? the whole time. Zachary knew about it. This is why he was so mad that ah. something at the party had finally like tipped the scale in telling him that like his wife had been cheating. You know, she's Jewish. All of the things. That's already scandalous for these people. There was a lack of evidence. Also, the prosecutor ends up dropping the charges, and both 
Abwalker and Libby were allowed to go free. So no trial ever held. Now later, the prosecutor would tell a journalist that he knew Libby was innocent and believed it truly had been a suicide. And that he also feared a trial would spark anti-Semitism and he didn't want that. Well, yeah, you don't want that. It's never good. On January 10th, 1933, Libby gave birth to a son, Christopher Smith Topper Reynolds. Her next husband is an actor named Rafe Holmes. He joined the Royal Canadian Air Force serving in World War II. The pair split when he returned home in 1945, just after six years of marriage. And Rafe commits suicide by overdosing on barbiturates. Oh. Holman went on to adopt two sons. Now, Christopher Reynolds, her child was Zachary Smith Reynolds, died in 1950 after falling while mountain climbing. Oh, well, that's different. Many said that she never got over her son's death. She created a foundation in his memory. On June 18, 1971, Libby Holman was found in a Rolls Royce, barely alive. She was taken to the hospital, eventually dying, and they ruled it suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. A lot of suicide going on. What's up with that? But still, a lot of questions remain. Did she, in fact, murder her husband? And what about the second husband Did with the barbiturates? Did friend help murder the husband? Yeah. Was this a cover-up? Were they having an affair? Yeah. There's just a lot of questions swirling, so it's kind of remained a mystery. That's a pretty wild story. Over the years. That doesn't even seem real. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, that seems like a some dreamed-up story to be like an offshoot of the Great Gatsby story. You know what I mean? Like well, a little again, side story. Well, again, it's a bit of a departure from our typical true crime story. Well, yeah. But there's so much mystery surrounding it. I thought it was really fascinating, and it takes place here in North Carolina. It does. With a cigarette magnet. Exactly. Or would it be maggots? Oh. <laughs> they knew it was addictive, damn it. They knew it. Oh, kidding. So that has been your tale of jazz and mayhem. And lesbians and Jews. Oh, my gosh. Scandalous. Yeah, I guess for the time period, it was scandalous. Yeah, and isn't that crazy that those people were more worried about their position and perception with the public? It seems than actually figuring out what happened to their uh, their son. Right. That's pretty wild, right? It's interesting. But I mean, that was a big deal back then. You know, your name, your you know, when you're just a prominent family in the South, even maybe more so because of a Southern culture and you know all being how how are, how are people perceiving us, our neighbors? Oh and yeah, reputation. Like that. Oh my gosh, meant a lot back then. Yeah. And your word and your reputation reputation was uh, everything, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like today where there's paparazzi and tabloids and news headlines. Social media. All over the grocery store, right. you know, supermarket line with... No, that was actually... In Touch magazine and whatever. That story was making front page of the main media, which was, you know, maybe newspapers, right? Radio, oh, newspapers. Right, yeah. And... So everybody would be talking about it, right? It's pretty crazy. Well, yeah, it was already scandalous enough that he had divorced his wife. Right, there's no telling how many. That he left his wife and daughter. Yeah, moved him out west. To move in with this Broadway actress. Big city. With questionable morals. All this stuff. 
strapless dresses everywhere. Oh, my God. Interracial dating? My word. Bisexuality? Oh, yeah, no, that was pretty, that was a pretty big deal back then, I'd say. Yeah. So that's the story of Libby Holman and Zachary Smith Reynolds. Well, so I guess we'll, we'll never know. I'd say everybody involved is dead, right? Yes. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll crack this one wide open. <laughs> well, Libby Holman definitely led a life of tragedy. Yeah, but you know, she it was like marrying Zachary Smith Reynolds just sort of sent her life into a downward spiral. Yeah, it'd probably been best if she had just broke it off with his Girl, you don't mean him. Yeah. He has a kidnapping obsession. That's kind of weird. That is a little strange. Well, that was a wild story. Well, I just thought it was a good one to share. Thank you for digging that out of the vault. Thanks for listening to Mountain Murders. We'll be back soon with more true crime for you.